So it's my pleasure to uh, bring the message to you tonight. Pastor David and Miss Andrea, they had a long weekend from the play and all the different activities that were going on. So they decided to have a long weekend. And he called me and said, hey, Pastor Jamie, you're up. I said, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. All right, so we're going to be uh, taking a look at the sermon series, Follow the Star. It's the first uh, night of Follow the Star, going to be leading up to Christmas. I know what you're saying, Pastor Jamie, we haven't even got past Thanksgiving yet. But because of our Thursday night service and uh, being bumped back to Wednesday, we're just going to go ahead and turn the page like Pastor Bruce said and uh, talk about Christmas. How many people got your trees up? I got my tree up too. It's not because I wanted to. It's because I had an 11-year-old driving me crazy. I mean, every 10 seconds, Dad, 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 I got to get the Christmas tree up. I'm like, it's not like there's any presents to put under it yet, son. But he had to get that tree up, so we drug it out and put it up, I don't know, night before last, two nights ago. I mean, it's, it's but way before Thanksgiving, and, and it, all the lights are up. So it's real pretty. Let's pray real quick before we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for tonight, Lord. I thank you for Pastor David and Miss Andrea and all the fam Schmoltz family, Lord, of just giving us, you know, this opportunity to, to bring the word and just to worship and, Father, a vision that you have given him, Lord, to, to express our love to you, to equip people to reach the world. Lord, we're part of the story, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, about being part of your story. So God, as we dive into this, I just pray that you anoint my words and anoint the people here within the hearing, Lord, to receive what the Spirit is speaking. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, follow the star, our Christmas series. You know, when I started thinking about um, Christmas, I was thinking about the timing of God. Having recently studied the book of Isaiah, you know, Pastor Dave did a really good job of taking us through the book of Isaiah. It made me think about that verse where he spoke of in Isaiah 4, 2, where it talked about the branch. You can tell I'm not used to having this thing on my face. Uh, talking about the branch of the Lord, that God was going to extend this branch. And this branch was going to bring salvation. And we learned that Isaiah's name is salvation uh, Yahweh is salvation or the Lord is salvation so we know that he promised that he was going to extend this branch of salvation to us you know I was doing some study on this today and that was written by Isaiah 740 years before Christ come on our nation is only 250 years old Think about it for a second. This is a prophecy that was written 740 years before it actually came true. You see, not a person alive in that day was going to live to realize that prophecy. Because there's things in Scripture that are realized, and there's things that are unrealized. And we stand in the gap between that which is realized and that which is unrealized. You see, this is a, an extremely important aspect of, of Scripture. And even in within that Scripture, it's very specific. It says that I'm going to bring a branch from the line of David in the house of Jesse. What? Hold on a second. Look at the specific, I don't say that word, specificity of that. Is that right? 
I wasn't an English teacher. I was a math. I was a math teacher. I, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Thank, thank you, Justin. All right. So look at that. From the line of David, from the house of Jesse, spoken 740 years before it ever came true. Before it ever was realized. Isn't that interesting? And then he speaks of the line of David. Well, we know the line of David was before Isaiah. He was king before Isaiah. And you ask, how long before Isaiah passed, Jamie? Well, let me tell you, 300 years. 300 years. So Isaiah shows up on the scene. He says, I'm going to extend a branch to you from the line of, in the house of David, from the line of, or excuse me, vice versa, from the line of David in the house of Jesse. That's pretty awesome. Can anybody quote anybody from 300 years ago? <laughs> We'd have to really think about it real hard and maybe go to do some Google stuff to find out something prophetic that was spoken by somebody 300 years ago. It's pretty amazing. God reveals this plan. I'm reminded just how long it took for God to bring about such a wonderful thing to pass. So many of the prophecies were not even going to happen in the lifetime of the people who lived there. But God clarified that they should continually live with great expectation of a coming Savior. A Savior that God promised to the world. How many people live with great expectation of what God has promised you? Come on, that's like where you go, yeah, Pastor Jamie, come on now. <laughs> Look, I, I don't mind shouting. I don't mind yelling. You can say, talk to me. You know, I was a teacher for 10 years. So I've seen all the bad children, you know, so I'm just kidding. You don't bother me. So I want some feedback, so go ahead and shout some things out if you want to, if you know the answer. God gave us clarity. He said, have great expectation. Everybody say great expectation. Great expectation. Pastor Dave just taught us expectation is invitation. You see, the remarkable story of Jesus' birth is the anchor to our souls. It is the reminder that God does keep his promises. But more than that, we live in a great age of an in-gathering. And absolutely the only reason that the earth still spins on its axis, the only reason that mankind still exists in our current form is because the mercy of God. God is what holds this whole thing together. Because of his sovereign plan. You see, in 2 Peter, we learn that God is not slow to keeping his promises as we would understand it. He's patient. He's merciful that all would come to know him. To have a chance to accept his free gift. To us, he seems reluctant to finish this age. But we know that the day of the Lord is perfectly planned and will happen just when God determines. With this in mind, it is the duty of every Christian 
to step into an eternity perspective, knowing our purpose and constantly seeing ourselves in God's great story. We must see ourselves in God's wonderful, sovereignly, providential plan. I hear so many arguments about God's sovereignty and God's plan. Can we settle? I'm going to settle it once and for all tonight, guys. I'm sorry. If I, you know, I have a tendency to hurt people's feelings, and I've made people leave the church when I preach. Sorry. But not really. God is sovereign. Everybody say that. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for each and every one of us. And we fit into his providential plan. What does knowing that do for your confidence? How does that knowledge that you were chosen by God, that he established you, that he put gifts in you, he put talents in you, he called you by name, he knew you before the foundations of the world, he birthed you, he knitted you together in your mother's womb, and he has a plan for your life. If you truly understood that, and you began to see with, from an eternal perspective what your part in the plan is, how would that affect the way you live? Changes, changes the ball game, doesn't it? Because it causes us to live with purpose. Do you know there's a study that just came out recently talking about purpose. And they, all these scientists got together and they studied what is the one thing that can help society today overcome the, the things that have been happening within the family group because of COVID because of being sequestered and being locked up for 10 months and, you know, and being restricted and having our lives turned upside down. And you know what they came up with? Purpose. They said, if you have a purpose, even your prison will not affect you. You see, Devin, first sermon that he preached, you know what it was? It was titled, this is my, my son's Devin, he's 20 six years old. He's the worship leader of Mana Church in Colorado Springs. And he got an opportunity to preach not too long ago. He said, he's like, told me, he called me. He's like, dad, I'm so excited. I get to preach this sermon. It's, you want to know what the title is? I was like, come on, son, give it to me. He said, your prison has a purpose. Woo, I thought that was good. I said, preach it to me, son. I'll listen. And so he spent for the next 30 minutes, he, he preached his sermon. And I was like, mm. Now, he talked about worship because, man, that kid is, he's talented. I mean, anybody that knows, that's been here, I mean, he can play the drum, the guitar, the piano. I mean, he can sing. He can, I mean, there's nothing he can't do musically. So his, his sermon was all about worship. Now, I can't say anything about that because I can barely carry a tune. <laughs> I have no musical talent. I have no idea where they got it from. But we have a purpose. Even our prison has a purpose. And if we can see what our purpose is, and we can hold on to the promise that is found in that purpose, we can overcome anything. Did you know that? And the promise, I mean, and, and how, think about how exponential that is when you're talking about the kingdom of God. Think about the, I mean, you, I mean they found that out in the fact that, hey, I have a purpose to get up and do X, Y, Z. 
But what if our purpose, when our feet hit the ground, we said, today I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which we have been called. Today I'm going to follow you. Today I'm going to tell somebody about my faith. Today I'm going to lay hands on the sick and see him recover. Today I'm going to take the gospel wherever my feet tread. Today. That's living with purpose. And when we live like that, the world can change. We must see ourselves in God's wonderful, sovereign plan. And we have to realize that we can have tremendous peace because nothing happens without God's permission, either for reward or retribution, blessing or judgment. Nothing happens outside of God's plan. And that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. I mean, you're sitting in a counseling office. I do a lot of counseling. So sitting in a counseling office and you're sitting across from something, somebody that had a tragedy in their life and you have to look at him and you say, I don't know why, but God does have a plan. I don't know why this happened, but I know that God is gonna use it for his kingdom and his glory. And I have to say that with great confidence because if I don't have confidence, they surely aren't gonna have confidence. We have to believe what we're preaching. <laughs> when we think of the birth of Christ, we see many actors in this wonderful drama. I would like for us to see which part we might play in this. But before we do that, let's, hit, let's take a few moments to start where the story begins with God himself. What did God do besides fulfill his promise? He provided a star. And what did the star tell us about God? So we know in the story of, of Jesus' birth that the Magi traveled, right, from the east. They followed a star that, that rose up in the sky, and they, they saw the rising of the star, and they, they traveled very far away. It wasn't like east of the Jordan. <laughs> it's not like east of Littleton. You know, these people came from a very far uh, off land, some might even say it was as far as uh, modern-day uh, Iraq because that was where the Babylonian, you know, Babylon was, right? Been there, right? Me too. <laughs> so you have the Persians over there in Babylon, over in that area, and we know that Daniel was taken in captivity from Jerusalem to that land. So most likely these wise men, the Magi, were following a prophecy that was passed down to them. Think about the hundreds of years that have passed, guys. Hundreds and hundreds, a thousand years, okay, had passed. And these Magi show up, coming, following a star that they knew about. Have you ever wondered, how in the heck did those guys know about that? They were Zoroastrians. They studied the stars. They weren't believers. They weren't Jews. They didn't, they didn't know anything about that, that stuff. But what they did know is there was a prophesied king that was coming, and it would be written in the stars. And they studied, and they watched, and they waited. 
These people are far off from Jerusalem. They're far off from Bethlehem, but they were still waiting. And just recently, they discovered some ancient writings in China that some theologians believe that they came all the way from China because there's writings of magi that were studying the stars, looking for the coming Savior, even in China. You see, if you look at the anthropological argument, every single nation, every single society, every group of people in all of history knew that there was a God. And they were looking for signs. They were looking for wonders. They were looking for the supernatural. They were looking for a promise because that's what provides the basis of our hope. God, let's take a look at the storyteller. God is the great storyteller. He has written a story in the stars for us. He wrote it for them to follow and he is writing it, he wrote it for us to follow. Think about God's qualities. What would it take to make a star, or even if you didn't make the star, make stars, I think there's three of them, make stars align in a perfect position to illuminate when the king was going to show up on earth? What would you have to be? Oh, let's see. All-powerful, maybe? All-knowing? Omnipresent? Think about all the qualities of God. Come on, you guys, spit some things out. What do you know? What do you know about God? Who is God to you? And I said you can shout some things out. Come on. He's our Father. Okay? Lord and Savior. Come on, girl. The beginning and the end. He's omnipotent. He's a powerful, guys. What did God, here's a big theological question for you. What did God know and when did God know it? Check it out. God knows everything and he's always known it. Let that sit for a minute. So I watched this argument between, this debate between uh, these two astrophysicists. Sounds like a joke, but it's not. Two astrophysicists walk into a bar. No, just kidding. <laughs> I watched this debate about, uh, between two astrophysicists. One was an atheist and one was a Christian. And they were arguing back and forth and they were saying all kinds of stuff that I really didn't know what they were talking about until it came down to this one thing. And something struck me in this argument. I think I shared it with you, didn't I, Bruce? Something struck me in this argument that was kind of interesting. They, they both agree. Now, all science has come to the point, all true, like, real hardcore physicists have come to the point where they understand this one thing. And they both agree, the atheist and the Christian both agree on it. That at some point before, you can't even hardly put it into English language, right? At some point, nothing existed. Not time, not space, not matter, nothing. I want you to think about that for a second. Absolutely nothing. Can we even comprehend that? And then, everybody say, and then. Then something caused nothing to roll over into something. 
Come on, somebody. How can nothing roll over into something unless something made it roll over? See, even the most intellectually intelligent astrophysicists, these are the two top guys in the whole world. They're arguing about this. And they both agree on the fact that there is something that's outside of time, that's outside of space, that's outside of matter itself that caused us to be here. Come on. And it was written in the stars. He put it in the stars when he made them so that we would have a sign and we'd have a star to follow. God, God is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. He is imminent. He is our creator. He is our judge. He is our redeemer. He is our father forever in Christ Jesus. I get passionate about this subject because I hate, strong word, I know, but I hate when people try to reinterpret the Bible and try to make it say something that it doesn't say. So I'm about to speak the truth straight from the word of God. Can you handle the truth? Come on. This is what the Lord says. This is Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people. And what, it, what, and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Do not proclaim this. And uh, did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witness. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I like that language. There is no other rock. Who do we know who the rock is? Uh, this is Isaiah, guys. This is 740 B.C. 740 years before the rock was ever born. The rock of our salvation. The stone that causes men to stumble. I know not one, God says. And then in Psalms 93, 1 through 2, it says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. We can't even begin to wrap our heads around that. People argue about this and that. And I laugh because I was one of them <laughs> for a long time. And now I look back and I go, foolish men. Why do you argue in vain? We can't understand God. He's called us to love one another and, and spread his message of hope. So the first thing there, we have to understand that God is in control. 
It's his sovereign plan. The star was not just a coincidence. It speaks of a much greater mind-blowing plan. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Pretty specific. We, we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. God does not, excuse me, God does what he plans to do exactly when he plans to do it. Did you catch that? Let's stop arguing about silly things because God is sovereign. It's his plan and he's doing it. God appears, he, he loves to shock people by coming in at the last minute and bringing salvation in a way that is almost impossible in man's estimation. Certainly, this is shown in the very story of Jesus' birth. I asked somebody not too long ago in one of my classes, I asked him, I said, how did you become a believer? He said, well, he was a fireman. He said, well, in my line of work, I see things that absolutely cannot be explained. Where people survive and people live and people, you know, things happen that, and circumstance happens that is impossible, that should not happen. And he said, I came to a point in my life where I could no longer turn away. I could no longer resist the fact that there is a sovereign God. And he said, that's how I, I came to be a Christian. So I knew, I mean, I just knew, I, there's no explanation, no other explanation. If we follow the star, we are submitting to God's plan for our lives. It leads us to the very wonderful conclusion. God is in control. Also, God is leading us. Only God can do true signs and wonders. But the star means so much more than that as I have shown. But it is also taking us somewhere. In Exodus, this is Moses. Come on, this is Moses. Everybody say Moses. <laughs> Moses. I mean, Moses, the leader of the Israelites, the prophet of God receive the commandments, the burning bush and all that. This is what he said. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You know, Moses was a prophet too, right? Y'all know that, right? Kind of interesting. I don't think he's talking just about the Israelites caveat in your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling the nations will hear and tremble anguish will grip the people of Philistia the chiefs of Edom will be terrified 
The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as stone. Pause for effect. (laughs) Until your people pass by. Lord, until your people who you bought pass by. Hold on a second. The people you bought. It's kind of strange language for an Old Testament prophet. Who's he talking about? People that were bought. Did he buy the Israelites? Did he buy them out of slavery to the Egyptians? Nope. (laughs) He said, let my people go. Okay, you don't want to? Okay, Eh, flood. Eh, Frogs. Eh, You know. (laughs) He said, let my people go. He didn't buy them out of slavery, but guess who he did buy? Us with his son. See, you have to read the Bible and you have to realize it'll switch, man. It'll switch on you quick especially with prophets, man. You got to watch them. They're tricky because one minute they'll be talking to the Israelites. The next minute they'll be talking about us. They'll be talking about something that doesn't even pertain to the Israelites. So you got to watch them. Their language changes quick. Until the people that you bought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on a mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. Mm. There's three things that we must do. First, you must follow. Turn your back on what is familiar and uncomfortable. Turn your back on what is familiar. When I read this, I was like, you know, somebody out there is going to like leave their wife and children and say, well, you guys are uncomfortable. I'm gone. <laughs> That's what some crazy people have done in the past. Not saying that. What we're saying is what Jesus said. They asked Jesus, what, do, what must we do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. We're going to have to do something that's uncomfortable. Like, you want to see, see somebody uncomfortable? You guys want to see somebody uncomfortable? <laughs> nobody's volunteering or nobody's saying anything. Watch this. Kim, why don't you come up on stage? Oh, Lord Jesus. If anybody knows my wife, that's long, you know, you're going to hear about that. You're going to get a frying pan or something. Right? Okay. So if God asked you to come up here and preach a sermon, would you? But it would have to be God, wouldn't it? We might be called to do something that is very uncomfortable. To go somewhere that's uncomfortable. Bruce went with Lowe's to me and he was uncomfortable. <laughs> Bruce was a, is a very big introvert. We went to Lowe's and we had bought something online. And uh, they said they didn't have it. I said, well, the computer says you have three. And they said, well, we don't have it. I went and looked. I said, go look again. He went and looked. He came back and said, we don't have it. I said, no, the computer. I bought it, son. You got to see. I bought it. It says right here, three. Let's go. Come on, let's go. I'll go with you. Bruce disappeared at that time. And he was, I don't know if it was then or when I said, let me talk to your manager. But Bruce said, I have never said those words in my life. 
Sometimes we're called to, I mean, I wasn't uncomfortable. I enjoyed it. <laughs> you know what? After what? The little worker, a girl worker, the manager, me and you, we, we found those three dang kick plates, didn't we? <laughs> every time you see those bronze kick plates out there, you remember that story. Sometimes we're called to do something uncomfortable. That's to stand up in the face of ridicule, to stand up in the face of people that might um, think worse of you or whatever. To be the light sometimes is uncomfortable. Secondly, we must accept the path that you will find what God is ready to show you. Let me read that again. Secondly, you must accept the path that you take to find what God is ready to show you. Got to accept the path. Thirdly, the star leads to something wonderful but simple. It led to a baby, a soul, a person, a gift, Jesus Christ. Following the star, which represents following him, means that we are accepting the fact that we are in God's story, not God in our story. Following the star is yielding to his sovereign plan. We can't ignore the star. We cannot change the direction of the star. We must submit to the reality of his existence and embrace what it means. God loves us very much and he wants to save us from our sins. He wants to be in fellowship with us. How could God have shown us in a more remarkable quintessential way than from the heavens by looking up at, a, at the wonder that it took from omniscient and omnipotent God to produce. For Joseph, it meant marrying a girl that was already pregnant with God's son. Ooh, come on, somebody. That would have been hard. For Mary, it meant submitting to God's plan in the face of potential disgrace and death. Her dad could actually have killed her by the law because she was engaged to another and got pregnant. To Herod, King Herod, it was a fearful reminder that he could do nothing to change God's plan. Conclusion. End game, not the movie. <laughs> Can you imagine being in a play or a game that has no conclusion? If you ever study uh, in game theory, how many people have ever studied like in game theory or game theory or anything like that? All right, well, don't worry about it. There's different theories out there, okay? I know some of my gamers out there are gonna know what I'm talking about. I only know this because I listened to a smart dude talk about it. I didn't know what it was beforehand. <laughs> there's some games out there, all games have rules, right? We know that. But there's some games out there that have a conclusion. They have a climax. I know that if I spend enough time and get good enough and get enough jewels and enough stars and enough whatevers, that eventually I'm gonna power up and level up to the point where I get to fight the boss. And I'm gonna kick its tail. And one day, after a hundred hours of straight playing Donkey Kong Jr., 
I don't know who did that. You're going to beat it. There's an end game. We know there's a conclusion to it. And we can, we can withstand a short game like that. But think about being in a game that has no end. That has no conclusion. How quick would you get bored? <laughs> I think it's Sims. I think of Sims, right? So there's a game that my kids play. Ian plays sometimes. And Aiden plays, and Devin played, and Lauren played, and Ethan played. All of them played it. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> because there's no end. You just make stuff. You have a family, and you have kids, and you build a house, and you know, it's kind of like Minecraft. It's like, how many hours, son, can you spend playing that? But at some point, guess what happens to every single one of my kids? Eventually, they stop playing. Why? It could, got bored, right? Get, it gets boring, right? After a while, you grow up and you go, oh, that's dumb. Why am I spending all my life doing that? That is the beauty of Scripture. We have a divine drama that has a beginning and an end. There will be a tremendous climax to each of our stories one way or the other. If we live to see Christ coming, man, that will be very unique. If we don't, we'll be ushered into eternity, into glory in a blink of an eye. How many people would say, Go ahead and stand up for me.